Hello, and welcome to Teaching Together, the podcast from Complete Mathematics, where we look in detail at how we can make our teaching of one objective more impactful. I'm Dave Taylor, and today we're going to look at finding the nth term of an arithmetic sequence. You can play along at home by heading to completemaths.com forward slash podcast to download the slide deck of tasks from today's episode. Finding the nth term of an arithmetic sequence is from Unit 6 of Stage 8 of the Complete Mathematics Curriculum. You can access this objective and the whole curriculum made up of 1,800 objectives at completemaths.com for free. I'm here today with Johnny Hall. Hello. And without further delay, let's look at teach, do, practice, behave with finding the nth term of an arithmetic sequence. Before we teach pupils a new idea, there is one important question to consider. Are we doing the right maths at the right level? If we're not, we run the risk of boring pupils if it's too easy. And if it's too hard, we run the risk of losing pupils' attention entirely. We can check that we're doing the right maths by assessing prerequisite knowledge. Johnny, tell us how you go about that in your classroom. Okay, so a nice task that I like to use is a, a which is greater task. And I'll put on the board an expression, for example, 2n or n plus 2. And ask pupils, which one is the greatest expression? And by asking that, you're testing a lot of prerequisites that you need for finding the nth term of a linear sequence. So do they know how to substitute numbers into expressions? Do they know that 2n actually means two, two lots of n? And they're not making that misconception that if n is, say, 5, it means 25 rather than 2 times 5. And then they can substitute various values of n in, generate sequences for each expression, and, and see when these expressions are, are equal as well. When they put a value of n is 2 into it, you'll, you'll see that they're both equal 4. So I think it's an old Icom's task from uh, sort of many years ago, uh, but you can extend it to 3n or n plus 3, 4n or n plus 4. So you can kind of go off on one of this task. You can behave mathematically with this task. Um, but it's all about testing the prerequisites. Are, are they ready to find the end term of a sequence? I mean, yeah, it's, it's a really super task. Um, personally, I like a bit more of a routine and I like to know where my lessons are going. And so my prerequisite checks tend to happen as part of a settler. And so on side four of the accompanying side deck, you can see the prerequisite check that I put together. And what this uh, task does it checks whether pupils are ready to learn about finding the nth term of an arithmetic sequence by checking the prerequisites from the Complete Maths Curriculum's prerequisite map. And so it looks at uh, position number and extending by the next terms and then finding a, a, a specific term within that sequence. And then it looks at being able to generate sequences from their nth terms. Now, when I'm quite happy that pupils are ready, I'm ready to teach. In the teach phase, the idea is entirely novel to pupils, though only just beyond their current level of understanding. The teacher shares key facts and uses metaphor and model to explain and describe so that pupils can meaning make and form connections with their current schema. So, Johnny, what models are we using here? The model I like, I like to use for sequences is cues and air rods. Cues and air rods are just a nice... A nice way, way to highlight that actually the end term rule is all about finding the times table that it belongs to and then making that adjustment with the with the constant rod, which is in each term. So on side five, if you if you go through side five with the animations, you can see that uh, three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen is made up using the, the quiz and air rods. And then you can identify the terms term rule using a certain length rod. 
and then you're building the sequence using that rod. And in the second example on that slide, you see that the sequence can't necessarily be made with that rod, but it's based upon that rod. And adding the red one in identifies the constant term. And that's also the case for 6, 10, 14, 18, 22. And this is a really great way for us to show the common difference and how this is a multiple of that common difference with um, an amendment made to it to, mm. to alter that sequence. Yeah, it's just a nice um, sort of visual way of representing representing it. Uh, what I used to do before I even knew using error rods or a thing, we, I'd kind of just like do the whole thing in the abstract. I'd, I'd have the end term sequence I'm trying to find the rule for and just above it i'd just write okay the term to term rule plus three in this particular case and then just write down the three times table underneath it but i think just using the cues and air rods gives it that extra visual sort of oomph behind the explanation it just ties in nicely with what what you'd what you'd normally used to do but just gives it that extra layer of understanding hopefully yeah just that extra representation gives pupils a different way to to interpret what we're saying to them Mm -hmm. uh, now on slide six, Johnny, you've you've given me a structured variation grid. Yeah. Do you want to talk me through that? Yeah. So when I'm um, introducing this, um, you can see on the grid I've highlighted on on the slide, I've just got those those three tiles, um, sort of revealed. I've got the N in the middle with one, two, three, four, and I explained to them that that is the sequence generated. That's the n term rule for the sequence one, two, three, four. It's just N on its own. And then to the right of it, you can see I've gone two, three, four, five. And I'll prompt students to maybe suggest, okay, what, what is the n term rule for that sequence? And I want them to say things like, okay, well, it's the same numbers all just shifted along one, or each number's one bigger. So what's the n term rule for that sequence? Well, it's n plus one. And then I'll click on the tile and it will show that it is n plus one. And that's working sort of um, left and right along the structured variation grid. I then get them to make predictions and conjectures what goes in each of the other cells left and right n plus two, n plus three, if we go into the right, and then n minus one, n minus two, n minus three, if we wanted, going on the left-hand side. I know this objective is all just about sort of looking at, I think it's positive n-term rules, but with the structured variation grid, you almost can't help but kind of go into the negatives as well. It just makes sense. It, it's going slightly beyond the scope of the objective, maybe, but it just makes sense in this setting. And then you look at the, um, the, the vertical um, aspect of the grid as well. And what's happened to one, two, three, four to get two, four, six, eight? And again, you want students to say things like, oh, every, everything's just doubled. So if the original sequence was just N, you hope then hopefully they'll they'll naturally say that the, the two, four, six, eight sequence will be will be two N. And assuming we've tested these prerequisites okay, that this should be okay with what two N actually means. It means two times two lots of to N. And then again conjecture make 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 guesses what what goes up well the next one should be 3n so what's that going to look like three six nine and basically i want them to realize that yeah the, the number in front of the n the coefficient of the n is the times table that we're interested in for the sequence and then as we go left and right across this grid it, it's that shift it's that constant shift whether whether it be positive or negative and then eventually you've revealed the whole grid and pupils can hopefully make sense of what's going on so um i've done this um quite a few times now since i've started looking into these structured variation grids and it's been a real sort of game changer in my in my teach do stage of uh, of the of the of the learning episode yeah and if you go to slide six on the accompanying slide deck and you click on the structured variation grid it'll take you to the web page where you can access this for yourself mm -hmm. 
At this point, we're going to transition out of the teach phase and we're looking for pupils to do. And that's coming up next. Now that we've talked about the teach phase, let's talk about do. In the do phase, pupils are simply replicating what they have been shown. In most cases, this is likely to be a procedure which leads to a solution and complements the teach phase by allowing pupils to develop confidence and fluency in working with the new procedure. The teacher is responsive to pupils, amending their model or example to make stronger connections in pupils schema and maintaining pupil motivation. The aim of this stage is for pupils to be successful in replicating the novel idea and it's important to state that meaningful learning hasn't yet occurred. So this is about replication. And the best way to do this is to use example problem pairs, alternate between teach and do, tell them something and have them replicate it, give instant feedback and build on what has landed. Now, once the teacher knows that pupils can replicate the new idea and those example problem pairs were successful, we want them to develop fluency with it. And what I do at this point is I give them minimally different questions. Now, these are on slide seven, and this is just asking pupils to find the nth term of these 10 sequences. Now, the way that these are minimally different is that A and B share a common term to term rule, and B and C share a common first term. Now, C and D, again, share a common term to term rule, but D and E share a common first term. And what I'm looking for pupils to identify here is similarities and differences between the sequences to try and draw out some connections once pupils are fluent. Uh, Johnny, how does do look in your classroom? Well, obviously I've spoken about the structured variation grid and um, at this stage of the lesson, once I've been done the teaching with this variation grid, we've got the whole grid revealed and students can look at all the sequences and all the um, sort of end term rules that go along with them. Now, what I like to do now is use the arrows either side, the, the top and down arrows to shift the sequences up and down um, in terms of the times table, the, the coefficient in, in, term, in front of the N, and then the left and right arrows to shift that constant term as well and just show, the, show them the whole grid revealed and how these sequences change as you go left, right, up, down. And then I'll hide the whole grid and I'll click the arrows a few times randomly so it's, so it's not just like ends in the middle all the time. And then I might just reveal um one tile so i've clicked the arrows um hidden the entire grid and i might just reveal say four seven ten thirteen on the grid the rest of the grid is blank i've just revealed four seven ten thirteen and then then it's mini whiteboards time for me okay class i've revealed four seven ten thirteen what goes in what goes in the cell above it what is the end term rule for that and hopefully at this point, they get to the idea, OK, it's it's part of that three times table because it's going up in threes, but it's been shifted um, one across. So they come out with three N plus one. And then sticking with the mini whiteboards, I might say, OK, what what's the two cells above it going to be? What's the two cells to the left of it going to be to the right and below? Can you fill those on your whiteboards as well and, and show them me as well? And then I'll do some reversing of the process as well. So I'll, I'll reveal some end term rules and can you generate the sequence from it? And just picking random cells from the from the variation grid to, to, to sort of generate my questions for me. So I'm sticking with that idea that I've done with the teach phase and I'm just getting them to, to actually do it now. So that's that's why I do um, all basically mini whiteboard all the way for me at that point. Oh, that's super. Now, having worked through the teach and do phases and pupils have developed fluency, 
we're now going to segue into the practice phase. In the practice phase, pupils move beyond simply performing, and it's quite common that a maths lesson doesn't get this far. Pupils tend to perform with a new idea, but don't form the connections to prior knowledge which are key to retention. At this stage, pupils are fluent with the process of finding the nth term of an arithmetic sequence, so we're directing their attention to underlying structures, relationships and principles in order to develop strong connections with prior knowledge. Johnny, what kind of activity might the teacher be using here? Okay, I think, I think you make a really good point there. Yeah, like early on in my career, I'd, I'd just get to the end of the do stage and yeah, I'd think that that's a successful learning episode. Let's move on to the next topic. But now uh, what I really like to make use of are like completion table activities. So if you look on slide eight, you can see an example of that. So we always like to reveal the first row in its entirety. Um, maybe not instantly, maybe, but as maybe bring up a blank table and reveal the, the first full row by clicking on the cells individually and then asking the pupils, okay, what's going on here? So we've got this first, find the first four, four terms, 11, 13, 15, um, 17. Then why does it say a plus two in that term to term rule? Again, constantly sort of um, checking for understanding. So, and why is the end term rule to n plus nine and so on? So you've revealed the whole of the first row and then it gets interesting because you, then you can pick and choose the cells that you want to reveal. Like I said, I wouldn't have all these cells initially revealed in what you're looking on on slide eight. It would be an initially blank table with just the first row. And then I'll reveal maybe the term to term rule and what the first term is on the second row. And then from that information, can they then complete the, the rest of that row? So if the term to term rule is plus four and the first term is, is negative two, then can they generate that sequence negative two, two, six and 10 and so on. And then from that, can they find the end term rule? And the really nice thing about these tables is that depending what starting information you're given, you can make these questions quite quite difficult. So if you skip down to, let's say, maybe sort of like the, uh, the fifth row, uh, where you're given the term to term rule is plus three and what the 10th term is, that's where things start get, uh, getting a little more interesting because then they have to work backwards and work out what the first term was. Um, to be able to generate, say, the first four terms of sequence. And then by the time you get to the end of the table, where I'm just giving them what the 10th term and the 25th term is, you can see how challenging those questions are compared to the initial row on the table. So it's a really good way of differentiation um, and differentiating your, your practice. Now, just for the example, I've given eight rows on this table, but you could have as many rows as you wanted revealed and you could you could gradually step up the, the challenge. You might not want to go all the way to those last ones where 10th term and 25th term. It's, it's really flexible. And that's another thing I like about these tables. It, it's flexible and you can choose the difficulty of the questions based on the pupils in front of you. Um, so, yeah, I'm a big fan of these completion table activities. Yeah, and if you go to slide eight on the accompanying side deck uh, and click the table, the link will take you straight to the website where you can find this yourself. Now, in, in the practice phase, we also have an opportunity to coach pupils in method selection. This is where pupils are answering questions such as, what is the question asking me? And what do I know about how to solve this problem? Now, using the prerequisite map from the complete maths curriculum, I've put together a practice activity on slide nine of the accompanying side deck. And this encourages pupils to form links between their existing knowledge and new learning. So what we have is we've got a nine question table, basically. 
Um, and what we find is that questions three, four, and five are really heavily linked. And so are questions seven, eight, and nine. And this promotes this forming connections between new learning and prior knowledge. So what pupils can now appreciate is that in question three, when they're extending a sequence, and in question four, they find the nth term, and in question five, they use substitution to make question three more efficient. And the same goes in question seven. In question seven, they might be tempted to extend the sequence. In question eight, they find the nth term, and then in question nine, they use substitution with that nth term to make question seven more efficient. And what we're doing here is trying to build the links and the connections between those those ideas in maths. Yeah, it is it is, it is brilliant little task this because so often like we don't make these connections. They're obvious to you to to, to me and you because we're we're the experts. But like the whole point of using this end term rule is to be more efficient. So yeah, I do I do like the fact that it can go back on these questions and it's and it's obvious why we've actually found the end term rule because nobody wants to be writing out like the tenth term when they can just use an end term rule. So after pupils have formed these strong connections, assimilating the new idea into their schema, we're looking at them behaving mathematically, and that's coming up next. In order to make mathematicians, this phase is the most important of all. Behaving mathematically deepens understanding, and when behaving mathematically, maturation matters. Unfortunately, due to perceived time pressures, we suspect that the behave phase is often cut short or is missing entirely from learning episodes. In the behave phase, tasks are chosen from well-embedded and mature ideas that connect to the novel idea. A good rule of thumb is that this kind of maturation takes two years. We're looking for pupils to transition from specialising to conjecturing and generalising through to analysing and reasoning with a related idea from two stages previous. For finding the nth term of an arithmetic sequence, we've put together the task on slide 10, which is called fastest sequences activity. So on slide 10, you're given four sequences. And the task is, write the next three terms in each sequence, identify which will be the first to pass 100, which will be the first to pass 1,000, and then to consider which sequence is the fastest. And is this always the case? And this enables pupils to consider their understanding of linear sequences and geometric sequences and, and how this speed of sequence really works. Um, Johnny, you've given us a couple of tasks on slide 11 and 12. Can you talk us through those? Yeah, of course. So, so on slide 11, um, we've got a task. And before I go through it, I should also mention that, yeah, this behave, this idea of behaving mathematically and this two years maturation, it's, it's one of those tasks that you might use, you might not use straight at the end of doing sequences, but you might use it down the line. For example, in this first task on slide 11, after you've done the sketching of linear graphs of the form y equals mx uh, plus c. So just a simple prompt of draw the graph of y equals 2x plus 3, and then find the nth term rule for the sequence 5, 7, 9, 11, and 13. It's a simple little prompt, but it does draw together two what in the pupils' minds might be completely unrelated topics at this point in time. But when you give them those two bits together, the, you can instantly see the links between the two two areas of mass. The only difference is that when we're drawing graphs, we might start with x is zero in there if we're sketching a table of values, say. Uh, but when we're doing the end term of a sequence, we always tend to start with n is equal to one. 
And that's the subtle difference maybe between the, the representations, but essentially un- underneath the, underneath the bonnet, it's exactly the same mask that we're, that we're doing. So you want them to notice that. So that's why it's in bold. What do you notice on that task? I mean, I think um, that you and I, Johnny, as experts, we appreciate this as mathematicians. Mm-hmm. I think this is the phase of the learning episode where we're trying to make them be more like we are as maths teachers. We're yeah. trying to draw out these connections so that pupils can can develop these for themselves. Absolutely. We're trying to connect up their universe of maths. We don't just want a series of isolated dots. We want to draw these lines between the dots. Hang on a minute. Y equals mx plus c is, is very much related to the linear nth term of a sequence. It's the same underlying maths under the bonnet. And then another task, which is probably something that you'd only maybe use with a with a higher year 11 class potentially, but... It's, it's, it's linking together, again, linear sequences, but this time with, with simultaneous equations. So it's a similar sort of nice task that you do. You wouldn't do it. You certainly wouldn't do it the first time um, you're teaching this objective because you, you'd, be, you'd be very surprised for students to have done simultaneous equations by the time you've done this. But two years down the line, three years down the line, you might bring up this task, uh, recall that knowledge of uh, linear sequences, and can you solve these simultaneous equations? And what lovely results do you find? I don't want to spoil it by actually telling you what the answer is for this um, task. But if you do just pick two linear sequences and chuck them, chuck them into those sort of simultaneous equations and solve them, you always get the same answer each time. So it's a, it's a, it's a lovely result, which gives you one of those why moments of maths as well, which I also think they come quite often when you're doing uh, these behave tasks. When you're behaving mathematically with maths, quite often you get these these wow moments, um, and it's something that if you don't do, then and pupils might not get not get to experience the wonder of maths as maybe they maybe they should do. Yeah, I think that the wow moments are, are really really important for pupils' experience of maths. Mm-hmm. So that's the end of this episode of Teaching Together. Thank you for joining us. Remember that you can check out the entire curriculum for free at CompleteMaths.com. That's over 1,800 objectives, from early counting to calculus. We hope that you've taken a lot from this episode, and if you have any questions, comments, or thoughts, don't hesitate to get in touch on Twitter. My handle is TaylorDA01. And at StudyMaths for me. And you can get in touch with the Complete Maths team on at Ed. Or you can get in touch via email. I'm Dave at CompleteMaths.com. Or Johnny at CompleteMaths.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please pass the pods to both colleagues and friends so that we can all improve our... Teaching together. Until next time, take care. <laughs>